Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Bakar Bin Veim Tovim Veratza Vedivrehem Hane Emarim Beemet Baruch Ata Adonai Haboker Torah Uv Moshe Avdo Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Haemet Vazedek Biskut Mashiach Yeshua Amen. Well, shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Haftarah of Parsha Tetzave with Shomer Mene Hasis Baz. But first, Hasis Baz has something very, very important we must say. Uh, well, well, shalom. As we know, we're we're in uh, uh, Haftarah of Yechezkel, uh, Haftarah Tetzave, right? King. And this is, it's all about, these portions are all about, you know, uh, the Mishkan and the Hathor really focuses on the altar and, and the functions of that. And what's interesting about all, all of this is if you really break down the concepts of, of the altar on the roles of, of the Kohanim, it was all about drawing people closer to God, bringing complete unity. Um, Help, helping people actually follow what they believe and make sense of, of what they've heard before that was a little unclear. And this is actually also the, the Torah Portia of our rabbi. And I wanted to just uh, give him a shout out um, because and, and, and specify all this stuff about the, the whole idea of the altar, the konim, their whole role was really to unify people, to, to bring them closer to Yah. And I just, I appreciate what he's done. I know you do know um, a lot of people listen to this podcast, appreciate what he's done of just uh, unifying us and bringing in a closer relationship to a shim and clarifying the words of Messiah and helping us put them in a proper uh, Jewish context. And so, uh, uh, for him and his teachings. Amen, amen. Shouts out one time to Rebbe, come on, get you some, a.k.a. Rabbi Griffin. So, Todah and that was beautiful. Well said, Habibi. Rukshem, man, Todah. So, it's true, man. It's just a, it's amazing, like, all, all of his insights, all of his teaching really helped bring us to the point where we are, you know? Well, I, so, I'd say that's the way to live up to your parsha. <laughs> Definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely live, live with the parsha, <laughs> right? So, for sure, we love you, Rabbi. I'm <laughs> <It's laughs> Okay, so now let's get to business. All right. So, in half tour of of Tasave, right? King. We're in Hezkel. My favorite. Yeah, we we elucidated, elucidated a lot about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, was your favorite. And so Yechezkel forty three, ten to twenty seven. Wait, so how am my rabbi gonna have my favorite prophet as his Haftarah portion? That's insane. Um, it's like a, a divine weaving or something. Good night. <laughs> you know, we you know we we've talked about uh, Yechezkel having. Same gematria as as Yosef. Oh man, yes we have. 
you know, and even the, the O'Hill Moed, the tent of meeting to appointment. And so you just kind of look, look at this, this partial, what's going on. And, and a lot of what rabbis talked about is the, the hidden Mashiach ben Yosef and, and, and proving, proving his mission and, and elucidating uh, what he did. Wow. So, you know, there's no such, there's no such word of coincidence in Hebrew. Right. <laughs> but just sort of touch on these ideas about Yechezkel. Uh, he was he was the son of Yamahu. He was called Bin Bozi because people scorned him. Right. He was he was one who was mocked because his lineage from Rahav. Uh, and it mentions also he's called. Bin Adam a lot, and it mentions that the Adam, which translates man most times, is expression of affection, brotherhood, and friendship. So said Hakadosh Baruch Hu to Yechezkel, Bin Adam, son of good people, son of righteous people, of people who perform acts of Chesed, who allow themselves to be shamed all their days for the sake of God's honor or for the sake of Israel's honor. Wow. And then, you know, we talked about him saying the same gemacha as Yosef says, Hakadosh Baruch Hu afflicted Yechezkel in order to remove his sin, the sins of Israel. That's from uh, Talmud Sanhedrin 39a. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I kind of mentioned the whole Ben, ben Adam because many, a lot of commentaries you read, they'll just say, hey, it was reminding him that he was a man and this and this, and it kind of swerves off any connotations of this being a uh, messianic. If you will, title. Right. And so, just to kind of clear that up, we got a little little something about that. I don't think we got to talk about it too much last time. Right. But Benadam is actually a, a term, a name, an essence of Mashiach. Come on. So I'm going to just read this little little section here. All right. It says, uh, Messiah's name, Son of Man is drawn from Daniel's vision. And we're going to talk, touch on Daniel's vision a little bit in the future of Zerashim. It says, With the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And then a short and concise, this, we have the short, concise statement from Masudat David. says, I, I saw in a night sleep visions, one like a Son of Man was coming, and this is allusion to King Mashiach. Mm. So, this whole this whole term Ben Adam is definitely has messianic connotations, and so a lot of commentaries you might read about why they call him Ben Adam. It might kind of swerve away from that and avoid that completely, you know, to uh, I guess kind of put push the idea um, away from it being alluded to a Mashiach figure. Well, but tag whenever you can uh, with Ben Adam. You actually see the words um, Evan, Dom, like the Evan stone and the blood. So the blood of the Evan is also Ben Adam. So being Mashiach, who is the life is in the blood. So his essence of the foundation stone and Evan being a composite of Av and Ben, which is father and son. And then you have the fact that uh, Evan is also 53, which is Gan, which is the garden. 
so the blood of the garden and we know that's the life force of Mashiach and then we have also that there are sometimes either 53 or 54 Torah portions depending on how you count it with Nizavim and Vayelik and um so really just looking at the essence of who the Torah is, who the garden is, who our foundation is, it all has to do with Ben Adam. Man, that's incredible. <laughs> all, all that, all that in Ben Adam. Can. Man, you, you mentioned the whole idea of Evan, the whole idea of stone, and it's, it's, it's mentioned in uh, Sukkah 52a, that Yechezkel called the evil incarnation a stone. Oh. As it's written, I shall remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And that also, in that same Meseket, says that there was great mourning in the land of Israel, and they couldn't tell if it was for the evil inclination or if it was for Mashiach ben Yosef. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was both the concept you know, kind of a, a very, very deep concept that he knew not sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. So why is the Sadiq attached to uh, this idea of, of of evil, if you will, wickedness, sin? It's for our sakes. Wow. Well, so to bring that. us back to God and like, the garden like you were talking about. Ooh. Oh, snap. <laughs> Okay, so while we're talking about the garden and Parashat Tadzave, um, there's a, another distinguished gentleman of contemporary. Uh, he's still alive and, and uh, very, very violent. His name is Rabbi Greenbaum. And he totally decided to, t to uh, elucidate on this week's parsha about why are the priestly vestments so important. And why is the consecration of the Kohanim into service predicated off of eating? Because it's to take us back to the garden. Because it's a tikkun for what we lost in the garden. We ate something and we lost something. So now we're eating something and we're gaining something. So speaking about food and clothing. So Hashem really cares what we eat as well as what we wear. So... That's an understatement, but I just thought it was really crazy that, you know, to see the fact that we're going to have uh, Kohanim inaugurated into priestly service to bear our sins and to bring us back into a state of glory before Shem, like, that's kind of, uh, it's insane. Can't believe he did that. Man, that's, that's incredible that you, you bring that up, you know, because, yeah, Shem will be touching on, touching on this, uh, this idea. The idea of eating and the idea of 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 clothing, right? Because these were all requirements for the altar. Good night. Right? You had the altar. You know there was uh, offerings that they would eat eat off of, and then there was a certain clothing they had to have in order to send the altar. Man. And so I, I mentioned that because this this half tour is mainly about you know it's, it's about the the new third temple and there's uh, real focus in on the altar. Alrighty then. So, before we get all that, uh, just a little bit of background. Okay. You know, we have this vision, and this is a taking place 14 years after the destruction of the first Beit Hamikdash, mm -hmm. and it's approximately about it's about 25 years 
after Yehezkel was exiled into Bab- uh, Babylon. Okay. Okay. And so he's he's given this instructions regarding the dimensions, appearance, and design of his new temple. And you know we kind of think, okay, well, when when it this be the second temple? But if you really look and compare the second temple to the visions being described here, it's it's not the same. You know, there's there's a lot of discrepancies and between those two, and so this is what a lot of a lot of commentators decided, hey. This is not talking about the same temple. This is talking about the third temple that's that's to come. Wow. And so it's really interesting. I'll just meant to put this in later, but I'll go ahead and say it now. You know, because okay. we get kind of lost up in a lot of conversations. But you're you're looking at a people who have been in exile. They're they're broken down. They're they're beaten. Uh, they are like in complete despair. It's almost like they feel the weight of their sins. Because before, they thought they were invincible. They thought nothing could touch them. You're talking about uh, hundreds of years where they were just, they had, a, they had a temple, they had everything, they had their place, they had their kings, and all of a sudden it just gets stripped from them. Mm. And they're in such a low place. And it mentions that, you know, in some commentaries, he, he brought them this vision of the temple in order to bring them a sense of shame. But there's another aspect to it. And the other aspect to it is Hashem's telling the people, look, you're, you're not a forsaken people. You're not no longer my firstborn. You're not no longer the, the nation and the people that I love. I'm going to show you a vision of what's to come for you, this great gift I have in store for you. Wow. And so him showing in the temple at this time is, is a way of giving them hope. It's a way of helping them remember of who they are and where they're going to be. And just to, to endure the pain and endure the suffering and look forward to a brighter future. And with that vision of mine, make paths, make a path towards striving for a shim yet again. Wow. I can't help but think of Mashiach as he's enduring the crucifixion. You know, as he's uh, leaving the place from where he was beaten and whipped. And walking along the road to the uh, the site of where they're actually going to put up the stake. And uh, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured. Just like it says in Tehillim. So it's, it's kind of interesting how our exile is along the same weight and circumstances. That this is something that's very painful for us. But yeah, we're not suffering to the point of bloodshed, obviously. But the, the yeah. idea is there, so... Hmm. Definitely, you know, he he uh, definitely had in mind uh, the vision, not of his, his destruction. What that wasn't what it was about. It wasn't about, as many Catholics say, keeping Jesus on the cross. Right. It, he didn't have in mind the death. He didn't have in mind uh, that whole idea of destroying the law, Shalom, or destroying himself, or mm. you know, it was it was the idea of rebuilding. You know, it was the, the idea of rebuilding, rebuilding people, um, rebuilding him and transferring into his new mission as Mashiach ben David. That needs to have a big old highlighter underneath what you just said. Because <laughs> it's just so like, did we realize he's looking forward to the resurrection and the Alam Haba? Like, that's mm-hmm. the joy. Okay. <laughs> 
Wow. Uh, so we are coming in. We have uh, 10 through 12. Yechezkel is commanded to reveal the plan of the future Beit Mikdash. Then 13 through 17, it's the measurements of the Beit for animal sacrifices. And 18 to 27, we have the altar's dedication ceremony. Mm. And, you know, there's this idea that mentions that Hashem wants them to study and, and hear about these laws of and have the dimensions of the Beha Mikdash. Right. Because if we study them, it's like we're actually building it. Come on. <laughs> and so this whole idea of, of our actions, our thoughts, our, our prayers, even if we're not physically doing it, just the idea that we're studying about it. Wow. And it's counting as if we did it. Get you some of that. Reason we ain't got no temple, we ain't got enough people building, so let's build it. <laughs> yes. Of course don't I, I don't want to be misquoted on that. And you know, it's like it's it's the idea of if it's impossible, if you have it in mind, if you have an intention to do something and it's impossible for you to do that, uh, then it's as if you did it. So it's not like it's not like you could uh like you mentioned this whole idea of eating before, it's not like you could study about kosher eating and then not eat kosher. And that's counted as if you ate kosher. That's, that's, that's not what I mean. Right. You know, but in this case, we don't have a temple, but if we study the laws of temple, we study the laws of sacrifice, then it's counted as if we actually offered that sacrifice. And in a sense, we're preparing our hearts for that moment. Oh man. And, you know, just, just a little, uh, just a little drop to keep in your back pocket about, what sacrifice is, it's not sacrifice so much as it is a korban, mm. which comes from the root, uh, like korav, which is like to draw close. And so it's just about getting our, our frame of mind, like transferring our frame of mind into a Jewish mindset and a Hebraic mindset, you know, where we can understand that we're not giving up anything right. or we're drawing closer to a shim. And if I could just tag to what you just stated real quick about the not being misquoted is there's a difference between mitzvot that we can actually perform as far as they're kosher to do, like donning zitzit and donning tefillin and davening, you know, marib, shakri, minka, uh, as opposed to building the temple, bringing sacrifices and slaughtering uh, animals to sacrifice and doing the morning and evening uh, offering. The reason why we can't do any of the temple services is because we don't have a temple. We, we don't have like uh, a way to have the shmika instituted so that we can have our uh, red heifer prepared kosherly. Uh, we don't have any really true access to be able to have all that happen. So there's a big difference between like what we're studying to actually be prepared to perform versus what we know that we should be doing and we are able to do without any violation. So, yeah, just to let that be known. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so we, we get into our altar, uh, 43.13, like I said, all the way down is all the way down to like 17. It's all about this altar, all about the dimensions of the altar. And in fact, the second temple altar was based heavily upon this third. Hmm. This third, this is the third one. You know, uh, Chazal, Chazal teach that, that the Jews built this second 
um, built the second Beit Hamikdash under Ezra's leadership. Uh, they constructed this altar, this mizbeach, uh, that was destroyed in Yechezkel right here. Mm. And of course, the only only thing that was a little altered was the base. Oh. But other than that, it was very very similar. <laughs> and so, you know, kind of idea of what, what is what is this? You know, we see we see this mizbeach, and you know, it's interesting because a lot of times. Chazal and the rabbis expand the names of one word and in this long this like longer acronym like where each word tells you or each letter tells you alludes to a word that describes the function of what it is mm -hmm. that you're looking at and mizbech is one such thing oh snap so you have uh mechila is the mim of mizbech that's forgiveness uh zachut which is merit, that's the mim, the bait, I'm oh, sorry, it's like, that's the, the zion, the bait of his beach is stands for bracha, blessing, and the chet of his beach, the last letter, stands for chaim, life. Mm. Wow. And so you, you could say, say what, what a powerful message is Hashem's giving them in their time of exile. The time of loneliness, a message of forgiveness, a message of, of merit, they're worthy of merit in the future, right? Blessing, a message of like blessing and, and life. Right. Wow. And it's a, what's that? I'm just uh, I'm just amazed by just looking or looking at that acronym. That's just that's amazing. It's powerful, you know. There's there's these four the four letters in it, and there's also these four horns on the altar mm -hmm. to say that it atones for people who are endowed with four kinds of greatness. One, they are chosen at Har Sinai. Two, give the Torah. Three, they are chosen for priesthood, and four, some of them were even eligible for kingship. Wow. And so it's also titled the uh, Mizbah Allah. Because, you know, it was used to uh, elevate B'nai Israel. <laughs> and it's wow. interesting. The very top of it was called Ariel. And so it's like, why, why is it named this? Why? And it actually, it, it refers to the five miracles in connection with the heavenly fire that rested on the altar. And so the five miracles are the fire had the appearance of a lion to indicate the presence of Shekhanah, since it's written about it in Hoshea 11.10, the Shekhanah, the presence of God, is a roaring lion. Wow. And so it hints that, that Hashem's presence, El, manifested itself in the, in the fire in the shape of an Ari, in the shape of a lion. However, in the time of the second Be'amekdash, the fire shape resembled that of a dog. This hinted at B'nai Israel that the Shekhinah was absent due to the impurity caused by their sins. And this may have been in part due to corrupted leadership. You know, uh, and Rabbi Zalia he he actually touches on that whole subject about how the people in charge of Yeshua's, uh, um, his trial, his, you know, quote-unquote trial, they were all like Sadducees. They were bought in by the, the Roman government. And so literally who really had control over the temple and all this were were the, the Romans. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it's mentioned in, in Telling too about these these dogs who divide up the the garments, right? Right. And so there's allusion to the, these the Romans being as of dogs, the Gentile nations being as, as dogs, if you will. Right. And so you know, it's alluded to the, the what's they no longer have their authority. It's been given over to uh, another nation. So we got four other things. It was as bright as the sunlight. And then three, its substance was a tangible, like physical fire. It was a tangible substance. Four, it consumed liquids as well as solids. And five, it did not produce any smoke. Mm. Which is interesting because that can also be taken as a bad omen. It mentions uh, about the Chervim, mm-hmm. that when they were turned away from each other, there was like this smoke that was in the middle of them. And it was a, it was a sign that, uh, like a, essentially a bad sign from Israel, saying that they, they were not worthy. Wow. Now uh, we got other stuff about this word, but this is the, this is the top of the altar. It says, uh, is written, it could be Har Ail, Har Ail. This indicates that Abraham discovered on Har Marah a ram, Ail, who was Arvith instead of Yitzhak. Hmm. So in the, in the following verse, you could take these, these words that contain the same of 4316. Okay, we look at 4316. Mm-hmm. You have uh, uh, you have Ha'ariel, right? If you take those words, you can actually rearrange them to Ra'e Ail, which is Abraham saw the ram. Saw the... Seeing the ram. And so this top of the altar is alluding to the Acheda of all things. And Abraham seen the ram on top of this. So you can think about just about the highest point on this altar, the top the top base of it is the the Acheda, allusion to the Acheda. Well, all right then. <laughs> so so the, the place where you can pretty much see the allusion to the Acheda is in the form of a lion. And then interesting. All right then. So it's almost Man. like we can't we can't think about Mashiach ben David without understanding, considering and accepting Mashiach ben Yosef. Yes. Man. You know, it's, it's interesting too because you have this whole idea about Mount Moriah. Right, we have like this tradition that the spot where King Shlomo built the Mazbeach and the Beha Mikdash, this is the same place where Avraham offered up Yitzhak and Har Hamariah. Ken. So, also where know, Adam and his sons offered. Yes, everyone offered at this place. There's like this huge Kedushah in this area. You know, even uh, Cain and Hevel. Ken. They brought their offerings in that place. Noach. Noach. You know, and so, and essentially, you, you look at all this. You look at wh- where were they offering? Where was their their vision at? <laughs> and it was it was the idea that this this future Mizbeach was there to recall Abraham's merit of offering up his son, 
And you look at all these people, all of them were offering at that same spot. They all had that same vision. That is beautiful. And in that vision, they were calling it. You know, there's, there's a midrash that actually goes and, and says also that uh, Adam gave instructions to Adam and Cain. Oh, sorry, yeah, Hevel uh, and Cain, right, mm-hmm. to sacrifice, to bring their sacrifices because it was going to be the pay, the time that the Israelites would offer the Pesach lamb. Wow. <laughs> and so what what really were these, these, these sacrifices really pointing to? The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb. <laughs> ultimate korban, the ultimate way that we would truly be able to draw close to a shin. So now we find out why the Pesach lamb is so important because the whole story about Pesach Shani that came about later on in our tour portions and uh, and Sefer Bamidbar, uh, there's a group of individuals who were defiled because they were carrying around the bones of Yosef and they were like, you know what? We did not get to eat the Pesach and we want to. So Moshe, please ask Hashem, how can we make that happen? And he goes... Thank you for asking nicely and not being like Korok. I mean, uh, thank you for asking nicely, and I'll go ask Hashem and be right back. And Hashem was like, yeah, a month later, we'll have Pesach Shani, and they can eat of the Pesach lamb. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just kind of like, so there, there has to be something about the ultimate Corbin that it's just like, we need to make some adjustments so this can happen. <laughs> Yes, you know, Pesach Shanani, you know, really proves that Hashem believes in second chances. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, but not not for people whose intention is to say, oh, I'll repent later. I'll do this later. <gasps> it's for people who legitimately missed, missed it based on, you know, them carrying the, the bones of Yosef. Oh, my goodness. You know, so there's that. <sighs> You're not allowed to do that in, in public. <laughs> wow. What's done in the dark will be brought to light, so I might as well do it. It was. That was like a bat signal light, like all up in the grill. Oh my goodness. Okay, back to our scheduled program. <laughs> so, uh, Ms. Rushton will be coming back to, to the Ms. Beach. Uh, but we're going to move on to the section of dedicating the future Be'amikdash. And it's talking about, uh, it says, Yechezkel, he repeatedly mentioned that in the future, these Konim who descended from Zadak would serve in the Be'amikdash. And Zadak was the first Kohen Gadol to serve in the Be'amikdash. And so it's therefore it's therefore possible that all Konim are named the descendants of Zadak. Come on. <laughs> and so according to some opinions, uh, other priestly families are excluded since they served idols. Because Sadak's family remained loyal to Shem, his descendants will serve in the Beha Mikdash. Come on. And there's even another opinion that, you know, El, El, um, uh, Yechezkel himself will be the, the priest, the Kohen, to minister in this place. Ooh. So. Mm. Well, he definitely showed that he was faithful in exile because he was just like, I don't care how far I am from Jerusalem, I am not eating food that is defiled. And Hashem was like, yeah. okay, we'll fix that. 
All right, and we get into 43.18. It says, And he said to me, Ben Adam, so says Hashem Elohim, These are laws to dedicate the altar on the day it is completed, to make it fit for offering Olaf sacrifice to it, and dash its blood against it. And you shall see, give to the Kohanim for the tribe of Levi, who are the seed of Sadak, and who are close to me to serve me, says Hashem Elohim, a young bull for a katat sacrifice. Take from its blood and place it on the four horns in the four corners of the altar's roof and its border around. In this way, you will purify and sanctify it. And he goes in talking about talking about this, this service. But what's interesting is in verse 18 where, where it says, And he said to me, it literally, <laughs> in, instead of to me, it says he. Right. And so it's it's interesting because this the he in here may actually refer to what this this supernatural figure that's actually mentioned in uh, forty three chapter forty verse three. Mm. So this is really the beginning, like of the preface, if you will, to all this talk about this third temple. So what is what is the source for for all of this? Where is where is this end up starting at? If it's so go you go back to uh, forty verse three, who this he may be referring to, says this. He brought me there, and behold, a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, and in his hand was a linen cord and a measuring rod, and he was standing at the gate. And it goes to talk about and behold, a man. It talks about this angel. In, in the likeness of man with a bronze appearance. Mm. And it mentions him being in linen. And uh, Zohar actually talks about this is the same man who is, who is clothed in linen in verse 9-2. So we're kind of going to weave a thread, and I mentioned we're going to get into Daniel a little bit. But before that, let's go to Yehezkel 9-2, because Zohar says it's the same angel who is in the appearance of man. <laughs> so we're going here, 9-2 says this, And behold, six men were coming by way of the upper gate, which faces north, and each man with his explosive weapon in his hand, and among them one man clothed in linen, and a scribe's inkwell by his waist. They came and stood near the bronze altar. And it mentions about this, and a lot of people say, hey, this is this this one is uh, Gavriel, um, but according to the Targum Yochanan, he was fully dressed like a human being, unlike the rest of the angels. Hmm. And it talks about this angels used to being benevolent, but he's he's the one in charge of writing these marks on people's uh, foreheads. Man. And it writes like he either writes a uh, a tav, he writes a tav in their foreheads. On the righteous, he writes a tav in uh, in black ink, and then. Uh, and then for the for the wicked, he he writes a one in blood, a tab in blood. Wow. Wow. I I, I man, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know, it's kind of that idea that if you're misinformed, you think you want to be the one with the top and blood because it's like, I want the blood of Yeshua all over me. And that that's not right. 
<laughs> I don't know. None in this case. You definitely don't want it in this case. No. <laughs> but trace the trace the thought a little down, a little, a little further. Come on, knit it together. Uh, this is also connection uh, between and Daniel mentions also this idea of this this angel and in linen. It says then I lifted up my eyes and saw suddenly there appeared a man dressed in white linen whose loins were girded with pure gold. And we have here if you can keep keep going down it says his body was a sea blue and his face looked like lightning his eyes were like torches of light his arms and legs were like pure bronze and the sounds of his word were like the clamor of a multitude. And what does that remind you of? Revelation. Revelations. What does it say in Revelations? That one was speaking to me and his voice sounded like rushing waters. Rushing waters. And then you have the, the, the fire in the eyes. And then you have the, the bronze feet. And who is that talking about? The eyes like... Uh, with uh, what, his eyes like blazing fire. His uh, voice like rushing water sounds. Mashiach Yeshua, basically. And uh, yes, that is the... Heavenly Cohen Gadol with the bronze fire feet. Um, yeah. Yes. I was trying to think of the song lyrics, but I can't do it right now. So I'm just uh, like, I'm just going to. Well, maybe you can just bust on the song later on. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yes, keep going. That is definitely the picture from Revelation about the Mashiach. Okay. So we're going to kind of go, go back up where it says, uh, you have the phrase lifting up the eyes in verse uh, 10, verse 5. And we have uh, the identical phrase in Abraham's angels in Bashi 18.2. And even, even uh, more interestingly, it's the angel that greeted Yehoshua in Yehoshua 5.13. Oh, come on. And about the angel, it says this. It says, some identify this angel with Michael, who appeared to Daniel, right? Right. Which is preceding the verses that we read from, from Daniel. And if you look about Daniel, uh, Michael, he's the one who offers the souls of the righteous on the altar, on the heavenly altar. Mm. Right? So we're tying into the whole altar, the whole korban. Here we go, yeah. He's also, according to Mandos and other sources, uh, Michael is also synonymous with Memtet. That's right. And it goes on to say that uh, this angel, according to many other opinions, was Memtet, the one who Yehoshua met it with. It's a God's prime minister who is appointed over all the other angels. It is he who accompanied God's Shekinah, leading the Jewish people through the desert. As the Torah says, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel. He's also the one that God said uh, God will send before the final redemption, as it said. Behold, I will send my angel, and he will clear the way before me. Uh, Malachi 3.1 The angel will clear the way so that God's own Shekinah can come and redeem us. Wow. <laughs> so, Pillar of Fire, Gabriel, Mikael, Memtet, Mashiach, Kohen Hagadol. There's also a Targum uh, that talks about one of the names of the Sarhapanim in Hashemayim, the Prince of the Face, 
there's an angel named Yehoshua. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> and, you know, it gets uh, just a little bit even more interesting. Uh, another commentary, uh, Ibn Yahya actually comments back in uh, Daniel 10, 10, 5 about this angel, and it describes him as uh, Ishechad. Oh my goodness. Ishechad is what, the, is what the text says. Ishechad, a single man. Yes, it does. And uh, Ibn uh, Yahya understands the Ish, the man, to be an anthropomorphic representation of God, similar to the Adam, a man described in the Machave of Yechezkel. <laughs> so you have you have the, the you have those those four faces on the Machave on the chariot. The lion, the ox, the eagle, right? And then the face of the man. It says that the, the this angel is identified with that face. Which is a anthropomorphic representation of God, God Himself. So, did we just like not just read in Midrash Rabbah, Parsha Teruma, that Hashem is going to take Ish Echad from among the children of Israel, and He will be atonement when there is no temple? Oh yes, He would take one man, Ish Echad. Who is this Isichad? Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Incredible. So it's like our Torah portion studies are connected or something. I don't know. It's like what it's like they actually it was actually uh thoughtfully or divinely planned or something like that. <laughs> Man. But you know, it's interesting because you you think about the whole idea of the the machave, you know, like the whole chariot. What do you do in a chariot? What do you do in a chariot? You yeah. ride. What's what's that? You ride. You ride around. It's how you go from place to place. How you like transition, if you will, into different areas. Oh, and you know, yeah. it, was, it was brought down by uh, one of our uh, one of our, our fellow Tamadine. Who was it? Who was it? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, the violent the one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> put it on the table. Just say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, each one of these faces is how Hashim actually transitions into our, our world, into our life. Right? You have the face of of an ox, which is Meshach and Yosef, because Yosef is likened to an ox. You have the face of a lion, like the Yehuda, David, Meshach and David, descended from Yehuda, who's like a lion, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have two Mashiachs, and then you have you have the idea of eagle, which if you read the Song of Moshe, it's like reference to God himself. And then you have the face of a man. Wow. Which it describes Hashem as a man of a man of war. But it's like this transition period, like these told two Mashiachs, right? Right. And Hashem being being manifested in these, these two Mashiachs who comes in the in the form of a man. And so yeah, how how he transitions into our lives and, and brings us closer to him is through like this process, if you will. Good night. 
I don't have the source in front of me right now, but as I was studying the parsha this week, uh, I came across it was either Benny B or G Shekel talking about the two Mashiachs are the two feet of God and they walk about. So God moves through the two Mashiachs. Man, that's, that's incredible. What's <laughs> <I> that? <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> Man. Wow. Yeah. Another aspect of that's how he, he uh, transitions in this world, how he, how he moves about in our world. It's through the Mashiachs. Good night. So it goes on to talk about it is a mitzvah for us to study the Korban note of the Beha Mitzvah, just as a mitzvah to study its plans. The blood of each sacrifice atoned for the lives of the Jewish people. And because its fat was burned on the Mizbeach, Hashem forgave the Jews for surrounding their hearts with fat, thus blocking out the Shuva. Uh, Chatat offering atoned for unintentional sins as and a sham offering for intentional ones. Moreover, each korban brought material blessings. And so you just have this the beauty of each korban, you know, it's not something you're just giving up. It's something you use to draw closer, draw uh, yourself and others closer to a shim. You just really said it brought material blessing. Yes. Wow. Okay. So it does. Because that's like completely not how the common mind views Corbin. But when you understand what Corbin is, and then you understand it also brings you material blessing, it's just kind of like, oh. Not that <laughs> material blessing is the point, but it's kind of like what we thought we were losing. Hashem is like, no, you're not losing anything, silly. <laughs> yes. I mean, you're laying down your life. That's That's what you're supposed to do. You think about it, just I, I feel it's helpful to uh, compare relationship to uh, Jewish people's relationship to mm. Hashem, us and Hashem, kind of like a uh, husband and wife relationship. Yes, and I don't I don't think that's that's blasphemous. I think there's a number of sources that say it, but most evidently it's in the the image of the cherubim. Uh, uh, that's right. Right, you have a a male and a female cherubim. And they represented different things, but one thing is Hashem and the Jewish people, right? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of think about it. Uh, when, say, Chas Shalom, you get in an argument with your spouse, or there's tension, or whatever. What, what, what is one way that you can actually kind of, uh, you know, restore that relationship? You know, you you come in there, you 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 apologize, right? You make amends, but usually that's accompanied with some sort of uh, thing. Maybe hey, you start off to break the ice with a little bit of chocolates or flowers, or you know something special they like. Wow. And so you know, that's kind of how these the you could kind of allude to the korbanot these 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 uh, these offerings, if you will, right? Now, if you if you came in there to be like, you just throw, say you're getting chocolates, you just throw the chocolates on the table, be like, now forgive me, look what I got you. Ooh. You know, you, no no one wants that. You know, or if you're thinking like, oh, the the chocolates and the gift is the is the main deal. You know, like here it is, and you don't say anything about trying to mend the relationship. You don't have any uh, intentions of restoring that, being being a better husband, being a better wife. For your your spouse, right? Right. And that's that's, that's 
And so you could kind of see how Hashem later in, in other works of the, the prophets and the writings and it's not. He mentions your sacrifices are, are uh, you know, abhorrent to me. I hate them. I loathe them. Why? Because how it was given, because you made that the focus. You made yourself the focus or you made the sacrifice the focus or you looked at it as a sacrifice instead of a korban. So. Tag. Go for it. Hosea 14.3. It says, Kehu imachem devarim. Take words with you. And then that's that's the first part. The next part is Veshuvu El Adonai. So when you look at that whole phrase, take words with you and return to Adonai, the first part about taking words with you is Kehu Imachem Devarim. The initial letters spell the word Akkad, which means that's the root of Akeda which means to lay down yourself and be bound up as an Corbin. And so part of you returning to Hashem is making yourself into a Corbin. And then as you do that, you return to Adonai and you speak. So looking at the way that we daven, you know, uh, especially for Shakarit, which is considered a time of chesed, by the way, which is the prayer instituted by Abraham, who was, you know, give chesed to Abraham, uh, kindliness to Abraham, you know, that whole prayer that we say for the Uvalezion. Basically, you are binding yourself up in Shakarit as an Akedah when you are binding your tefillin. And then you have this idea that you're also davening words of Torah. You have your siddur right there. It's all set for you. It's all done. All you have to do is walk in it. And like we're supposed to return to Hashem even after we return to Hashem. Every moment is a moment of shuva, bezrat Hashem. Because the moment we stop making teshuva, that's the part where we begin to moonwalk away from our beloved. And we don't want to do that. So we always want to be returning to Hashem. So just kind of looking at this idea of we're the Corbin, you know, and the words of Torah, the words of I'm sorry, like honesty, sincerity, like that, that is definitely something that you do with your spouse. You know, you... You don't just, you know, you don't do this to anybody else you don't like, you know. You don't go, oh, I really offended some person I don't know and really don't even uh, maybe not be so esteemed to. But yet someone who's very beloved and endearing to you, oh, you're going to make sure you fix that. <laughs> so, so anyway, just for food for thought. Well, if you if you took everything you said just now and and typed it up, and post it on Facebook. And if I had a Facebook page, I would go in there and I'd put one of those really excited laughing faces on there. Laughing faces, little heart emblem, and I'd share it. <laughs> that's what I would um, And that's, that's so key. And, you know, the, the whole structure of the Mishkan te teaches us so, so many valuable lessons. And I just kind of look at two things right now uh, that were essentially like right on top of each other, if you will, like, you know, directly in front of each other. You have uh, the Ark, like the Aharon, 
And that was filled with essentially the Torah, with the, the commandments. Yes. And these were words that Hashem spoke to us. Oh. And what was below it was uh, was was the altar. And what happens on the altar? Like we take sacrifice. It's what it's what we put in, what we give in there. And like you said, take words with you. Well, wow. right. It's at the Akeda, the sacrifice. And we have both these elements in, in you know, uh, synagogue services, right? Yeah. Shul services. You have the word, read the Torah, which is Hashem talking to us. And then you have, like you said, uh, you know, the prayers, praying for the prayer book. This is us talking to Hashem. So you have this dialogue, mm, right? And so you, you kind of you think about this as, as, as the Torah, the, the Aharon. This is Hashem giving to us. And then us giving to Hashem, right? This dialogue, this whole conversation, and and the whole idea of, of offering, offering kind of like a gift. What better gift could we give Hashem than the the unity of each other, the unity of His people? Wow. You know, this is what Mashiach hints at. He says in, in Manas Yahu 5, 23, he, he mentions all this, this huge, long, amazing drash. And 23, it says, If therefore you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Wow. Come on. And it says, if, if you remember that your brother has anything against you, and, you know, we could, we could say, uh, okay, you know, what, what is, what is his source for that? And we could say, you know, it's like kind of like a, a cop out. He is the living Torah. So he is his own source and <laughs> that's acceptable, but let's, let's not, let's not, you know, uh, cop out so easy if, if I can use that expression and let's go back to when it was commanded to build an altar what was required for that when it was, what was, one that, was that was required for this altar well and you had all the the taruma that everybody was supposed to bring of a of a charitable heart so like, yes. Cole Yisrael had to unify as one and bring uh, gifts willingly as well as generously. So there, there's that idea. They had to bring willing and generous gifts. And there's also this idea you have in, in Shemot 26 and it, it, it goes in, in 20, 26, it says, God spoke all these words, saying, I am Lord your God, brought you on Mitzrayim. You shall not have any gods. You shall not make for yourself idols. Because you shall not bow down to them or serve them. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. I may be I'm in the wrong, wrong verse. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Exodus 20. Shemot 20. Right. And then it goes all down in verse 20, 26. Oh, 20, 26. Okay. 
Uh, right before that, and and I'll just start at twenty three. The Lord said to Moshe, uh, Exodus twenty verses twenty two. Lord said to Moshe, This is what you should tell the children of Israel: You yourselves have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall most certainly not make alongside me gods of silver, gods of gold of yourself. You shall make an altar of Eretz for me, and shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, and every place where I record my name, I will come to bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you lift up your tool on it, you have polluted it. Neither shall you go up by steps on my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed to you. Yes, you are talking about not being in strife with our brothers and our sisters. Yes. <sighs> and so, like right, right here, we're talking about at the, at the very end, it mentions so that your your uh, nakedness won't be revealed. Revealed a who, who? I mean, we just kind of mentioned all the garments the priests had to wear. Where, you know, and at the very least, they had they had the, the breeches on them, right? right. It's, it covered everything. Okay, and they also have the idea of it. It's not really doesn't mention people around it. It's mentioning like you're not gonna build steps. You can't have hewn stones. You build this ramp. Why? So, so your neckiness. So you. Uh oh, stand by. All right, technical All right. difficulties, but uh, we're good now. Welcome back. <laughs> All right, so I always know something's wrong when I get a very, very long, awkward silence. <laughs> so. Oh. <laughs> you're probably like you're like just drawing her like, and then, and that's the source for Matthew five. Uh, and that's. That's the purpose for entire existence. Not funny. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's that's an easy question when you live a Jewish life. So, oh, uh, I want to be a big drop or anything. Right. Okay. Um, so let's go back. We're in Shemot twenty, and we're doing the last few verses about the stones and not making steps on the altar. So that's pretty much where you cut out when you began to talk about you know, exposing the nakedness and all that kind of stuff because we're wearing lots of clothes as a priest. So what is the deal right there? Sounds like what's what's going on? Because there's not really people mentioned. It's it's mentioned about these stones. Okay, not really anything anything else. And uh So uh, Rashi actually comments on this idea. It says, so that your nakedness will not be uncovered. It says, because the steps require you to take wide steps. Although this is not actual exposure of nakedness, for it is written and make them linen pants. So it's already, it's already covering that part like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, taking wide steps is close to exposing nakedness. And if you take wide steps, you are treating what? Not the people, not anyone around you. You are treating the stones of the Mizpah in a humiliating manner. These words imply a call the Homer. Now, if regarding these stones, which do not have the perception to care about their humiliation, the Torah says, since there is need for them, do not treat them in a humiliating manner. In the case of your fellow man who is in the image of your creator and cares about his humiliation, how much more so must you treat him with respect? Wow. And so, 
what is is Mashiach's source? Is he just making this stuff up? Why is he why is he telling people to uh, delay delay, if you will, their offering? It, we're supposed to do mitzvahs with alacrity, right? We're supposed to do them the first chance that we get, right? Right. But but before that, you have before alacrity, you have this idea of of being zeherut, this idea of being reflective, of withholding from evil. The Psalms say, turn from evil and then do good. So before you can pursue a mitzvah, you got to make sure you're doing it. Uh, you got to make sure you're doing everything right. So what he's saying here is it's not against the Torah. This is actually his source. I, at least I believe this is one of his sources that he's coming from because the whole process to go up the altar, you had to be so intentional with not insulting mere mere rocks, how more so should be you intentional about being unified and not insulting uh, your brother? Wow. And so it's not it's he's not just making this up out of nowhere. He's 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 coming directly from the Torah and he's revealing what this means. Why why did there have to be a ramp? Okay, because was that really necessary? Well, no, but. Not, not for the physical aspect, but yes, for the spiritual aspect. Mm. To keep us mindful of, mm. of what what our approach to giving a korban needs to be. And what takes precedent before that that is offered. Wow. You know, because Hashem waited, us, waited to give us the Torah till we were unified. That's right. Right. We, we should imitate our father. We should we should be be unified, and then give our offering to him. That's one of the reasons why it's so important, you know, to have a minion. You, you're showing this this unity, and then you're giving him words back. Mm. Well, so, there's that. There's that. I like to kind of transition to a little story time. That's okay. Bring it on. And without further ado, story time. Come on. Nisan bin Eliezer was sitting under a tree in his field one fine summer day. He observed that the tree was laden with sweet, luscious fruits, whose juice was dripping onto the ground below, while sheep were peacefully grazing under the tree, milk dripping from their udders. On the earth, the milk combined with the fruit juice. Rab Nathan taught his students. You see that Hashem truly gave us a land flowing with milk and honey. This is only a fraction of the blessing promised for the future. As it says in Yol 4.18, the mountains will drip with juice and the hills will flow with milk. And so all these blessings were shown upon the Jews in the time of Beha Mikdash and will begin fulfilled as a result of offering the Korban note. And so it goes on to talk about the idea we mentioned earlier about um, it says, you shall give the Kohanim a bull, you shall take from its blood. So some people believe it's actually Yechezel himself, who's uh, the prophet is promised after the Techeyat uh, Hamatim, the resurrection of the dead, he would personally lead the future dedication ceremony. And so he was, he was actually Kohen, right? So he was actually fit to do this. Wow. Uh, and so... Uh, you have it actually concludes with the phrase I will be pleased with you and so the main thing behind all the chapters doing with the Corbinote is that they're effective only if our deeds please the Almighty so kind of tag in the idea that we 
mentioned before, what pleases him is that we dwell in unity because it says how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together and unity, right? Oh. And so what really gives Hashem a, a lot of nachat, what gives him a lot of pleasure is is seeing his children get along. You think about that, uh, anyone has, has parents or deals with uh, uh, children or even grownups, you know, like, like, but take it from parents' standpoint, you know, you don't want to see your kids bickering and arguing and fighting over every little thing. No. Nope. You want to see them getting along, sharing their toys, you know, speaking kind words to each other. This is, if this gives us pleasure and we're made in the image of God, you know, how much more pleasure would it give him? Wow. You know? Well. So, uh, going to a uh, few, few little the ending points here. Bring them on. So, why why we actually need to know all these details. Wow. So, two, two reasons. Realistic detailed picture, it strengthens our Muna. Right? We have all these realistic details, so it's like, okay, this isn't a, this isn't a fairy tale. Like, look at all the details that go into this. This is something that's going to happen. Yes. You know, and two... We build the Be'a Mikdash whenever we study its laws. We mentioned this before because Hashem wanted to give us merit. And the third one we can actually highlight in a, a short parable. So, super short uh, story time, if you will. A parable was ousted from the country. Uh, sorry, a prince was ousted from the country because he had conducted himself inappropriately. In order to entice him to improve, the father constructed a magnificent palace, especially for his son. And he sent messengers to bring the prince back so he could view it. The prince was told, this splendid palace is waiting for you. All you have to do is behave in a fitting manner. So the parable, you know, it's, it's kind of easily understood. It's a whole idea to, he gave us this vision in order to generate in us a strong desire for teshuva. So no, no, not only is he strengthening our muna, not only is he allowing us to gain merits, from building just by studying, not by even lifting a finger, but just like studying and reading off those laws. But also he's he's hitting out of the very root and allowing us a desire to to do teshuva and to turn to him. So that we should better ourselves. Wow. And uh so we got strength in Amuna and uh do Teshuva. Yeah, so strengthen Amuna, one. So why, why all the details um, of, of this final Behemekdash? Three things. The It, it strengthened our Amuna, and in, in the merit of our firm belief, we will be resurrected and given the opportunity to serve Hashem in the third Behemekdash. Second part, it built the we We actually built the Behemekdash just by studying its laws and this is a way for him shim to give us merit mm. and then the third one is it literally inspires us to do teshuva because we have this beautiful future waiting us and so it it helps you know when people have a clear goal they have a clear vision uh one that's in- inspiring one that's good they're going to try to strive for that even harder than if they have no vision at all Wow. You know, there, there's a saying of the, of what's what's worse than losing your eyes, and that's losing your vision. Wow. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of the idea behind this. 
And I like to kind of throw in here a last uh, story time of uh, you heard the term uh, death glare or death stare. Right. <laughs> well, mentioned uh, last half tour that, you know, whatever you heard, whatever you've seen, Tor did it first and Tor does it best. Right. 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 And so this is another example of this. So here's our here's a story time based on uh, one of our, our sages. All right. Bring it on. Uh, Rabbi Eliezer was once mockingly asked by a wicked non-Jew, why do you believe that there will be a third Beit HaMikdash in the future? Your Torah only mentions two. Rabbi Eliezer stared at the Rasha, who collapsed and rendered lifeless by the sage's anger. Then Rabbi Eliezer wept and exclaimed, there is not one superfluous word in our holy Torah. The third Beit HaMikdash is hinted in it. This was explained to me by the prophet Eliyahu, who had heard the subject being debated in the heavenly academy. When God took the Jews out of Egypt, he planned to raise them to the status of holy angels, settled in their land forever. He was going to give them an everlasting Behab Mikdash. However, the generation of the wilderness sinned and never reached the land. The sons were not as holy, and therefore the Behab Mikdash was built by King Shlomo rather than by Hashem himself, which resulted in it being destroyed. Okay, so it goes and talks about in Ezra's time, the Jews were sinful. Therefore, the second Bayad Mikdash was constructed by human beings, also eventually to be destroyed. Like uh, we, we mentioned uh, last Haftor, you know, don't be arrogant that you helped build this build this one for referring to Shlomo's temple because I'm going to destroy it. <laughs> wow. But it goes on to say the, bay, the, the main Bayad Mikdash, of which the Torah tells that Hashem personally will erect it, as is written, a Mikdash Hashem, which you're with. Your hands will fashion. Shmot fifteen seventeen has not yet been given to us, but you know other other sources mention that's not just Hashem who builds it. According to Rab Yosef he mentions that Mashiach is the one who's going to build this third temple. So which one is it? Yes. Yes. And just an interesting interesting note. Because it also says that B'nai Israel will build the future Behemikdash. And so it's this idea, again, of Hashem giving us merit. Because he does the building, you know, Mashiach does the building. We talk about how Mashiach is how Hashem interacts in, in, in our world in a finite manner. And so he suggests that the art, uh, like Tzifrat Zion suggests, our share in the building of the future will be of a spiritual nature. So B'nai Israel would learn the laws of Be'amikdash. And then we have this different approach that when the Almighty foresaw that in the future the Jews would put, be put to shame by being unable to fill this mitzvah of building Be'amikdash. So what did he do? He buried the gates of the first Be'amikdash in the ground. As it says, its gates were submerged in the earth. Echa, Lamentations 2.9. He will return those gates to us after the arrival of Mashiach, and allow the Jews to affix them to the final Behem Mikdash. By completing it, the Jews will be considered its builders. Wow. So, it's kind of like, you know, put putting something up and allowing your, your little little child to uh, finish, like you hammer, you hammer the nail in a little bit, and you just allow him to hit the nail in, and it's like he finished it himself. It's like, hey, you did it, look at all that. I was like, <laughs> Like, okay, I built the house, now put it at the mezuzah. <laughs> right. 
And so it, just, just a, what amazing father we have, you know, we lose sight of, um, I think our generation loses sight of, uh, the love of God in these stories because they they have no concept of, uh, no concept of, of the culture, of the language, of oral Torah, you know, and so we lose, lose sight because of, we have no concept of oral Torah in this generation. We lose sight of the love of Shem and how, how truly great a father he is. Amen, amen. Well, it is that time to go into practical takeaways. It has been such an amazing uh, journey uh, for Haftarah Tedzave. Uh, some very, very just insane uh, uh, insights. So, first of all, Todah to you for bringing all that out and um, having some domestic violence going on on this podcast. So, that's amazing. But the, the violence of the, of the category of Shalom, though, that's, that's the good kind of violence. So, a couple of things, uh, just to kind of mention, this is, this would be basically my practical takeaway, um, or just some, some things that I, I feel like are very relative, or what is that word? Relevant, very relevant to what uh, has been spoken uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, Number one, when we talk about the name of Hashem, uh, Hashem actually has allowed that name to be used or to be um, labeled on uh, different people, so to speak. Uh, one of them is Mashiach, as in uh, Yermiyahu, I believe it's 23, and it talks about that Mashiach will be called Mashiach or Hashem Zidkenu, which is Hashem our righteousness. Um, another thing about the name of Hashem, it also says, I'm reading here in a whole bunch of different sources, so let me just pick one. Midrash Tankuma, uh, Kedoshim 5.1, the uh, Buber edition, says, But Yisrael is called by the name of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, as it says, he is called Hashem and he has called Yisrael gods. As it is stated, I said, you are gods. So they're going into more of that. But the big thing to know there is why is it seen that Yisrael builds the temple? It's because we're called by the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu when we're Kol Echad. Another reason why we want to be a people of baseless love, people of Lashon Kodesh, is because we need to be worthy of the name in which we are allowed to bear upon those certain circumstances that are met for us to be literally Kol Echad. Or should we say Ish Echad, because we know that Mashiach is one body of many members, which would be Kol Yisrael. But anyway, uh, and the other thing is that... uh, where is it? Yes. Avodazera 19a. Uh, and Rava also says with regard to this verse, initially the Torah is called by the name of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And oh. <laughs> it says, but ultimately it is called by the name of the one who studies it. No, you didn't. Okay, I'm putting that down. Okay, so 
And then my last little thing I just want to say is that the altar is considered to be how many cubits tall? I believe it was 10 cubits, 10 cubits tall. That is coming from the words of the Ram call. Get you some. That's uh, I'm looking at uh, Dr. Sakal's notes on the Haftarah. So he shot right. a few of those gleanings out. And uh, when you look at 10 cubits, I was like, man, how tall is 10 cubits? It's like, oh, that's about 15 feet. And I was like, 15 feet tall? And it was like, yeah, it's broken down into four cubits, four cubits, and two cubits to get 10 cubits. And I'm like, four cubits, how tall is that? Well, first of all, 10 cubits is 15 feet, which is the height of like a giraffe. So you got like a giraffe is about 15 to 17 feet tall. And yes, the neck is included. So uh, <laughs> when you think about going to the, the altar, it's just like it's a giraffe basically but the reason why i was breaking down the little segments there is because four cubits is about six feet tall which is kind of like the height of a man and to know that two of those sections are the height of a man obviously the two mashiachs and so part of the height of the altar features the two mashiachs and then i was thinking well what's that other two cubits because that's like three feet tall I'm not really sure how tall the Evan Shetia is, which is the foundation stone that the Ark sits on. But knowing that the Ark is the two Mashiachs and that the two Mashiachs height are included in the uh, Mizbeach in the courtyard, I'm thinking the two Mashiachs on a foundation stone of some sort would be that other two cubits down there. So anyway... The two Mashiachs on a stone is the height of a giraffe commonly or average. And that is the Mizbeach and the outer altar. Wow, man. So. <laughs> I think for the image of this half you just put a big giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, draw attention. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? It's called Giraffic Park. Uh, wow. That was terrible. Really stuck my <laughs> neck out on that one. Okay. So, yeah, your turn. Was, <laughs> okay. So, I, I think uh, my uh, practical takeaway would be this whole idea of what is your vision of the Corban? Hmm. What is your vision of, of the Corban? Uh, do you do you view it as something that's going to bring you close to Hashem? Do you view it as something that's going to, like, something you're going to have to remove or remove from yourself? Wow. And, and not just Hashem, but but other people. How do, how do you view it when you have to offer someone something? When you give to another person um when you give uh, charity, when you give time, when you give energy, when you give compliment, do you feel like you're you're subtracting from your own glory, from subtracting from your own time, or do you feel like you're you're drawing a unity between uh, uh, Klaus Rael and all mankind? You know, and Beautiful. just idea like what what is and in that same category, what's your vision of your Corbin? What is uh, what is the position of your sacrifice? 
do you ground it at the site where all these sacrifices were, where Mount Mount Moriah, when when Abraham gave us a, a beautiful example of of laying down everything he desired for the sake of Hashem's glory, for the sake of, of of nothing other than because Hashem said so. You know. Wow. And so, what what is our our view of our Corbin of of what we give? Like, do we see it as as like as like we're offering this on the Mizbeach in the sense that us doing this at this specific place, like with with this in mind, with this intention, us giving ourselves, whatever it may be, do we have the intention of our mind that it's going to bring about like for forgiveness? It's going to be a merit, not just for ourselves, but for others. It's going to bring just this tremendous blessing. It's going to bring life. Do we have that in mind? Mm-hmm. Or are, are we still are we still the mindset that we're, we're losing our identity? We're losing our time. We're losing our money. We're losing, you know, our, our glory. You know, what, what really is our mindset? What, what is our vision when we give? What is our vision of our Corbin? Oh, man. That is beautiful. Uh, to reflect on, really. More than just a practical takeaway is something for us to reflect on. Yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> I, you know, if I could just say one thing just about the whole of, um, we mentioned this whole idea of, in the Mishkan, there was the, the Aharon, which where the Torah was kept, which is Hashem's words to us. And then there's the Mizbeach, which is what we offer to Him. And so we talked about this whole dialogue. And, mm-hmm. This whole concept of in your vision of your korban of your offering, how is your conversation with the shim? Mm. Are 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 you allowing yourself to talk to him? Are you allowing him to talk to you? You know, are you studying Torah? Are you praying? You know, mm. and how is that dialogue going? You know, and in our prayers, are we are we a good conversationalist? You know, and by by that I mean, are we very adamant in 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 focusing on our words and Making sure we're saying them at, at make sure we're saying the prayers at the appropriate time. If we're a man, uh, you know, how is that dialogue going with the shim? Wow. So that'll be my my practical takeaways for for all of us, including myself. And Definitely, me too, for sure. <laughs> you know, it's uh, one of those things that you know those of us who are teaching the word. You know, we're definitely more under more liability. And so, uh, you know, it's almost like we're speaking to people who should Bezrat Hashem hearken to what we're saying. But we need to do that twice over for ourselves. So, you know, it's a get you some of epic proportions, <laughs> you know, what's being laid down. So, Man. well, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam, zur kol haolamim, zadik bekol hadorot, hael haneeman haomer veose, hamdaver um kayem shekol davarav emet vazerek, neeman atahu adonai Eloheinu, veneemanim, devareka vedavar echad, midvareka akor lo yashuv, rachem. Recham ki el melek neeman verakaman ata baruk ata adonai hael haneeman bekol devarav biskut mashiach yeshua amen. Well, toda rabah chavivi. 
Many blessings to you and your household. To everyone who's joined us for the Hop Through Podcast, Shalom and Shavuot Tov. We have enjoyed our time with you. Many blessings. Shalom.